It's the Victorian Variety Show. Remember me as thou pass by. As thou art now, so once was I. As I am now, so thou wilt be. Prepare thy way to follow me. This is the Victorian Variety Show podcast, in which I focus on the Victorian era because I think it's a really fascinating historical period. But I also look at similarities and differences between this period and more contemporary periods, including the present day, because I think it's important to see how different periods of history are linked to each other. And also, I think it gives us a greater appreciation of our own history and of history in general. My name is Marissa, and the short poem I just read is taken from an article I found online called Grave Words, A Love Affair with Victorian Headstones, written by a Morticia, which I'll include a link to in the show notes. Based on what Morticia writes, it seems like a version of this poem appeared on a number of tombstones, And the reason I chose it was that I felt it would set the tone for today's episode. I've been following Tracy Rylands of the Adventures in Cemetery Hopping blog on Twitter for a while, and I've been really intrigued by the work that she does. She posts photos she takes at cemeteries around the U.S., usually with some background information on the person, and often these stories are really interesting. I was curious about how Tracy selects these cemeteries and what her research process is once she focuses on a grave. So I asked her to come on the show and I really enjoyed talking to her. I think you'll be interested in a lot of what she has to say. So with no further ado, here's my interview with Tracy. My guest today is Tracy Muller Rylands, an almost native of Georgia Tracy has bachelor's and master's degrees from the University of Georgia. She didn't take an interest in cemeteries until 2012, when she became a photo volunteer for findagrave.com, an online database of cemeteries around the world. It was then that she began sharing stories from the cemeteries she visited via her blog, adventuresincemeteryhopping.com. A stay-at-home mom, Tracy lives in Dunwoody, Georgia, with her husband, Chris, and 15-year-old son, Sean. Tracy, welcome to the show. I've really been looking forward to having you on. Oh, I really appreciate you inviting me to come on. I've been looking forward to it all week. Oh, that's, that's great. Yeah, I got a list of questions that I wanted to ask you. But first, I was curious, how did you get interested in cemeteries and graves and visiting them? Well... Most people that you, you might run into in, in your, your line of, of work or, or interest will say they've always been interested in them, but I am not one of them. I did not have an interest in cemeteries really until after my son started kindergarten about 10, in 2012, and my husband got me an Ancestry.com membership. I started digging into that okay. and find a grave was a tool that came out of that search for my own family tree 
And I saw that they needed photo volunteers. They needed people to go out and photograph graves for people who could not get to say, and you know, your listeners may know how this works. If you say you live in like Georgia here and you have, you know, a great aunt Frida who died in Arizona and you know, you're never going to go out there to visit her. Right. But you know where she is, you know, you look her up, but you see, oh, she doesn't have a photograph for grave and you'd like to see it. So you can request someone local to go out and do that. And I thought, well, that's something I can do. So I started doing that. And the very first uh, couple of cemeteries I went to, the two I went to were actually connected. One was plantation owners. And the second one was the descendants of their slaves. Okay. And that just, you know, blew my hat off there. And the history that came out of visit, I thought, man, you know, this is really interesting. And I think I might not be the only one who finds this interesting. And I could use my writing skills because I have a background in in journalism and English and you know I started my blog uh, in January of 2013 I think it was and I've been doing it ever since wow that's great yeah like I mentioned I was on your blog this morning I have looked at it before because um I you know the pictures that you put on Twitter you you just put some amazing photos on there and the history as well that's just I think an amazing resource your blog well it really is an adventure for me because I never know what I'm going to find. Right. It's different at cemetery. It's never boring. And even, you know, it's like, to, you know, this past week I was doing research on a cemetery in 2019 that's out in Oklahoma. And the gentleman was young and he had one of those uh, Woodman of the World tree shaped monuments. I thought, wonder, you know, what happened there? He died in 1917. I thought, was he, you know, World War One? But it turned out he had been a sheriff in Norman, Oklahoma, and he was murdered by bootleggers that he had pulled over in a traffic stop. Oh, wow. And the whole thing just led me down the road for an hour. And that's what I do this for. It's just, you just never know where it's going to take you. It's always something new. Yeah, it definitely seems that way. And to me, those that those are like the best kinds of experiences that you don't know what you're mm-hmm. going in for. I mean, there is, there is a part of me that I do like to know what's going to happen. But then I also love like when I'm researching a topic for this podcast and I start off with something mm-hmm. and then I start going down a rabbit hole and then I ended up doing something else. <laughs> oh, it happens to us all the time, I know. <laughs> How do you go about choosing where you're going to research as far as the cemetery or the grave? Do you usually have, like, I understand that probably you end up finding things that you never discovered, but when you're starting out, do you kind of have a place in mind or do these do these cemeteries and graves kind of pick you, I guess? I honestly have one of the most unscientific methods you can think of for doing this. Um, when I was first starting out, I tended to go pretty local. I okay. stuck around the Atlanta metro area because that was what was closest to me. And then I, you know, started moving out a little bit. I went up to Rome, Georgia to go to Myrtle Hill because it's a really large, it's a rural type cemetery uh, that's huge. It's, you know, shaped like a wedding cake kind of with the, with the different circles of like paths that wind up to the top. And then when I would go out, I started adding other stuff. When I went to out of town, uh, I would stop, you know, if I saw something I liked or I'd plan, you know, or when I'm on, even when I'm at home, my, if, when I go home, when I say home, when I go to my husband's hometown of Knoxville, 
okay. you know, we usually stay for a week during the holidays and I'll, you know, usually pick a day where I'll look on the map and I'll see which ones I haven't been to and I'll just pick one that's usually old and because uh, the old ones are always more interesting to me and I'll just go take pictures and it's not until I get back and I'm going through the pictures and sometimes it can be years later do I start digging into who's done what and start making those discoveries so those discoveries can as in the case of this last one I was telling you about I didn't I visited that cemetery in 2019 that was you know three and I'm just now because I try to do it chronologically now right so I'll go back and what I did and I'll be like "Eh, wow that you know I haven't been there in three years but that's so it's it's very unscientific that's terrible to say but (laughs) it's 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 just kind of you know where I end up and when I was just up in New York uh city at the end of September and got to visit Greenwood and Woodlawn and that was a specific trip that I wanted to take for that reason but usually it's I'll go I'll be going somewhere and I end up at a cemetery as a secondary kind of thing I don't usually go somewhere with that intention in mind. That's interesting. I actually, when you said that your method is unscientific, I actually like your method a lot because I think, I mean, I I don't know exactly what the scientific method for something like this looks like, but yours just seems to me like more organic like it's kind of I think a lot of it depends on like the people that you find out about maybe the time period and there are a lot of things about scientific methods in general that I think don't take a lot of these details into account whereas I think a method like yours really brings in a lot to think about that you might not see with a scientific method so I actually like your method a lot I'm glad. Well, I know that in this, and, I, and when I say this line of work, there's not a ton of people doing what I do, but there there are some people who, who do this that write about, you know, cemeteries and photograph, and they stick to their region. Like some people like to stick to their eastern New England region or, you know, southwest. Yeah. And people have said, you know, why don't you stick to Atlanta and Georgia? And I'm like, that's so boring. Why should I do that? You know, there's so many great stories and different styles of carving and and places you can go and I want to see it all I want to do it all and I I think anybody who does this after a while starts to I would hope feel that way because you don't want to limit yourself you want to see everything and yeah I just I want to embrace all of it because there are places I haven't been I one of my ultimate goals is to get to California and go do the Hollywood stars oh wow like, yeah I'd like to go see Errol Flynn I want to see forest lawn, you know, what I can at least access because a lot of it you can't see. But that, because I, I really love old old movies and that's, you know, yeah. and there's stuff out there that you can't see here and there's stuff here that you can't see out there. So that's why I try not to limit myself and just kind of let it happen as it happens. Yeah, see, I mean, you know, I mean, I don't I don't do this myself, but like if, if I did, I definitely would want something more along the lines of what you do, whereas sticking to one region, I mean, of course, I can imagine in one region, there is a lot of material, but at the same time, I can definitely see how you would you would get bored after a while and you would want to see how it differs among different regions and things like that. So yeah, I think the way you do it definitely sounds more appealing to me. <laughs> there's, 
there's so much to appreciate in different regions. Right. Uh, somebody had posted on Facebook today. One of my friends had posted it was a it was a statue of a World War One doughboy that was a monument over a, a young man's grave who had died in World War One. I. I was very surprised to see it was from Jackson, Tennessee, because we don't get a lot of those down here for whatever reason. We don't see many of those. Well, and World War Two, yes. World War One, we really don't. And, yeah. But up in the Midwest, we I, I find them a lot more. And would I, do I know why? No, don't really know why. But it excited me because I'm like, oh, there's one down here, and that I I really can appreciate the differences because it's like, oh, that's cool. That's something I haven't seen before. Or you know, it can get regional too. And there are people who you know, there I post things that I come in contact with. They're like, I've never seen that before. Where were you? And yeah. It's fun. It's it don't, for me. It is. Some people are like, "Why do you do this?" I'm like, "Well, it excites <laughs> me. That's that's why I keep doing it, or I I would quit." So yeah, it's it's just there's a lot out there to see, and I have not even. I feel like sometimes I've even scratched the surface because I've been to 25 states, and I've got another 25, yeah. 26 to get to, and I have got years to go. Yeah, exactly. Um, I actually was going to ask uh, about what people say about what you were doing later on, but since you just mentioned it, what what is the general like reaction? Or I don't know if I want to say general reaction, but what are some misconceptions that people have about the work that you do? I would say that probably the largest misconception is people think that I do this because I like zombies and the spirits. Oh. And that I do it for kind of the spooky, seancey, Ouija board, you know, ghosts. Yeah. And there is a place and time for that and, and the entertainment value and, and the history of that is great. But I really don't do it for that. I really love history. Yeah. And I, and I love the history of architecture and the different eras of carving and the lifestyles that some of these people had and some of the really strange things that cropped up like poisonings and how people died yeah. and just it's just all oh, it runs the gamut and that's and when i tell people no don't really talk to the spirits when i'm out there you know they're dead so yeah. they don't really talk to me and i know there are people that that do go out to cemeteries and feel that they do and i you know i honor that and i don't don't disparage that at all that that's with what people are doing but for me when i'm out there it's just I'm not an outdoorsy person. That's the only time I really go. In the oh wow! That is in a cemetery, and I can really feel. If anything, I feel just the just the peacefulness of being out there. Yeah. And and when people understand get that, when I try to communicate to that people to the, to people, they go, "Oh, okay, I can understand that," and they get a little less like, "Oh, that's creepy," because I do get a few people who think it's creepy right off the bat. And I get that. I, and I, it's funny. I have a, there's a distant relative of mine who immediately shut me down. I was like, Oh, I'm never going to read that. I said, that's just gross. And then like a month later I heard from her and she said, well, I looked and I was wrong. I was wrong about, about what you do. And it's actually not creepy at all. And she apologized to me oh. and I thought, okay, I want her over. So that's cool. Like, a lot of people, like, when you say how peaceful it is, like, they they can understand that. Like, what you do, I would like to do more of that one day. Like, right now, I'm not able to, but I 
I originally am from New Jersey, and there was okay. a there was an old cemetery behind one of the churches in my town. And when I was in high school, I had a friend, and we would just sometimes we would just go there and like sit and, and like just talk, and it was like so peaceful we had so much respect for all the the graves there i mean there were some graves going back to the 1700s and like the revolutionary oh, yeah. war it, oh, yeah new jersey has some very old cemeteries for sure yeah and it, it's just we first went there like to do some research and to check it out but it just was like this really peaceful serene place the only issue that I had was, and I, I didn't know much about this at the time, I was like 16, 17 years old, but a lot of the graves had been abandoned, I guess, because the families had like long moved out of the area and disappeared. So like there were just a lot of weeds around these graves, which was like such a shame. And like, you know, I didn't really have the ability to, to do much as far as like cleaning them up or anything or maintenance, but it was just so beautiful being there and just such, a, we, we just had such a feeling of peace whenever we went there. So I think when you let people know that they do understand that, but before that they tend to be like, whoa. <laughs> Until you, you know, it's funny when my husband and I, he was first, he was on an alumni board for his college at for Oglethorpe University here in Atlanta. Right. He, we had parties and, you know, being a staying at stay-at-home mom I'm sure they were looking at me looking at me like oh she's boring she doesn't have anything to say and they'd be like well what do you do and I would you know pipe up about my blog and inevitably I would get somebody who had a story for me about someone in their family and a set or a cemetery they loved and I would find somebody who really enjoyed talking about what I did I always thought that was you know that, that it, I can usually connect with someone on some level about what I do if it's not the history it's, you know, finding your roots or it's, it, it can actually lead to a pretty interesting conversation. And, and I didn't think that was going to happen when I first started doing this, but there are more people interested in it, honestly, than I thought would be when I first started doing it. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I think, I think sometimes people just, they, they grow up with this idea that death is not something that we like to think about and then when they realize that it's okay to think about these things and talk about these things then they tend to open up more right and i mean i've always had i'm not sure how to word this but death has always been a part of my life because when i started when i was at college at university of georgia i was working for the athens daily news and this was back in the 80s before computers were really taking off. And we still took obituaries over the phone. Okay. And on Sunday nights, the, from like 4 to 8, the local funeral homes would call me and I'd write them up. So I got to know the funeral directors pretty well. And I really liked them. And I really liked the approach they took to their work as a calling as opposed to a job. Right. And they were really great people. And so I was used to that. When I got out of college, my first job was at an insurance company that sold pre-need funeral insurance. So okay, <laughs> yeah, or like, same. And I and I met some more of the, the folks in the business, and so I got very comfortable with talking about death and funerals and caskets and and all of that. And so when this happened, it was just kind of like the next step for me. Yeah, it definitely sounds that way. Um, yeah, I mean, I've mentioned before that uh, I. 
when I was doing, I did a few episodes on like Victorian death rituals and uh, their beliefs about death. And Victorians, because there was so much death during the Victorian era, it was very common for Victorians in general, even younger ones, to like make plans for their deaths and their funerals and things like that. And I think that's something that we've gotten away from as a society. I do right. see more of an interest in that now, especially with, I don't know if you're familiar with like Caitlin Dowdy or the Order of yes. the Good Death, but yeah, yes. I think they've done a lot with kind of, I don't want to say normalizing it quite, but like just bringing out more to people's awareness that it is not only okay to talk about these things, but also I think in a lot of ways, it's important that we start looking at these things from a different angle. Yeah, I mean, it really has, in some ways, in my mind, come full circle when you think about it, because the, what's being talked about now in some circles, not here in, in Georgia by any means, but, you know, out in California and out in, in the Pacific Northwest is, you know, the, the notion of death doulas right. and bringing the, and having the deceased in the home and preparing the body and having people come and, and see the body in the home. That is not new. Right. This is what happened years ago before funeral parlors came to be. And in especially in Appalachia, where there were no funeral parlors, that's what the family did. Exactly. The family prepared the body. Somebody in the community built the casket. And yeah. it was all deeply. It was not, you know, shunt, shunted off to some guy, you know, in town who had a black suit and had some caskets, you know, in his showroom. It's, so it really has, it is coming full circle. And it's, it's kind of interesting to me that we're returning to some of the, the practices that we left behind a long time ago in, in that thrust for modernization and moving forward, but moving, you know, backwards in the sense that, you know, maybe some of those ideas that were, you know, in place years ago were not so in, antiquated or wrong that there's actually a lot of value to what was done back in those days. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with you. I think, and I think it's definitely good that some of these things are coming back. I guess uh, I, I really, I'm interested in all of the work. I noticed that, like the graves that you cover, are like I, I've seen a lot of pictures of graves from like the nineteenth century, but also the twentieth century, and I think. They're all fascinating. What are some of the things, you mentioned carvings earlier. What are some things that you've noticed about maybe carvings on graves in from the 19th century and from the 20th century, like similarities and differences and maybe any similarities and differences in like symbolism as well? Like what are some you've noticed in your I mean, I'm sure there there's a lot out there. Like, I, I know Victorian grave symbolism especially is, there are, like, so many examples of that. But if you can just maybe talk a little bit about some of the yeah. similarities and differences between, say, yeah. 19th and 20th century. Well, can, can I go back a little further than that? Oh, absolutely. Some... Absolutely. But <laughs> what's not about, about this is that I haven't been up to New England that much. I have been up to Maine, and I was able to go to uh, Eastern, uh, Eastern Cemetery that's there, and they have some very old, like from the 1700 graves. And I've also seen similar styles in Charleston simply because 
Charleston was viewed with in Charleston, South Carolina, their social elite were trying to keep up with the Boston and New England elite. Oh, so wow. they lured a lot of the carvers down from New England to Charleston with the promise of money and a warmer climate. And they're like, come on down. And we want the same intricately carved markers that our New England peers have. And they were willing to pay good money for it. And what's interesting that you see is you see, at least here in the US, I can't speak to, you know, Europe or England, is that you start out seeing like, I'm sure you might have seen these in the 1700s, you have these skulls, right? And crop and you're like, why on earth would you have a skull and crossbow? And people are like, oh, it's pirates. Well, no, wasn't. Not always. There are, you know, there there is a time for that. There are some. There was some of that. But you know, you start going through the styles. Well, the Puritans put skulls on their graves because they wanted to scare people, because they wanted to say, okay, if you don't clean up your act and live a good lot, a good pious life you're going to end up in hell. Yeah. So they put that bell in there to kind of scare you and go straighten up and fly right. Or you're going to end up like this. Yeah. And that, that's, that was what the message they were trying to convey. They were not, they were not putting crosses and angels and flowers on their graves. They, that was not their purpose at all. Right. And that blows people's minds. And I know it blew my mind because that's not something that even occurred to me. And then, as you start getting towards the turn of, you know, into the 1800s, you start seeing these things called soul effigies, where you have like little cherub faces with wings coming out the side. Yeah. And, or the person who died, or they, they'll carve like the, what they, as close as they can get to say the face of the deceased with these wings on the side, where they start getting a little more gentle and talking about, you know, the spirit going to heaven and leaving this earth and, then you start getting into, you know, the mid 1800s and you start seeing the urns because the Greeks viewed the urns as the repository for the ashes and then the draping of the urn, meaning a veil over, you know, the last repository of the human spirit. It's the, the veil is in between the spirit and heaven. And then right. you start seeing willows and widows weeping next to the urn and you start seeing more hopeful you know, what we see today, angels and crosses and lily of the valley, ivy and wood. When you start getting into like the early 1900s with all of the tree stuff that you see, I don't know if you've seen a lot of that. I see a ton of this wood themed, yes. you know, woodsy stuff and, and tree shaped monuments because the arts and crafts movement began yes. from the 18th into the early 20s because Oh, that was that was a fad that lasted a long time, and you see a lot of this wood stuff. Yeah, and that some of the most intricate carvings, because they were embracing that style. And then as you start getting into, you know, the '30s and '40s, frankly, to me, it starts getting a little boring because it starts getting, you know, yeah. there's a cross, there's roses, there's you know, angels, and you know, whatever you want on there. Heck anymore you can have your harley davidson carved on your marker now if you want yeah which is cool. <laughs> but, uh, but the but for the victorians and i know that's you know your era you can it's almost like you need a decoder ring to go out and figure out well what did that mean and what does it mean when there's a, a hand reaching down and pointing 
finger down, does that mean that person's going to hell? And is the pointing finger pointing up mean they're going to heaven? And what in the in the shaking hands and the what does all this mean? And for someone who has not been around it, it can be a little overwhelming sometimes. And there really is a lot of difference there, but it's because, you know, as times change, history changes with it and themes and the carvers change too. And they adapted to the mores and societal norms of the times and moving away from, you know, religion to more pastoral scenes and things like that. It's it's interesting to see the evolution of the tombstone because it has it's evolved a lot. Yeah, definitely. I've been kind of wanting to do uh, an episode on like grave symbolism from the Victorian era. And it, <laughs> like you said, it just... <laughs> I, I still would love to but it's just there's so much information there and, and there's stuff you don't even know what it means still exactly tell you. you know i mean you're like well what did that mean and why is that why is the you know i've had a few you know the finger pointing sideways what does that mean you're not you know what does that mean <laughs> yeah just basis or something what does that mean but, and, and there's, I, I cannot, you know, people ask me, what does it mean if there's Lily of the Valley? Well, I have to go look it up half the time because there's so much of it. You right. just, it's hard to great. And, you know, there's so many different lilies. There's, you know, Lily of the Valley, Calla lilies, Easter lilies. And I have to go look it up myself because I can't keep it all straight in my head. But, you know, I'm sure the guys who were carving this at the time, they knew what it all meant. So they, you know, they did what was appropriate for the time. Yeah. Definitely. What are some of the graves and cemeteries that have had the, uh, like the strongest impact on you? Like the ones that really like just blew you away when you saw them? It's interesting you said that. So, and, and I'm sure you've probably heard this from other people. If you, in the cem, in cemetery circles, Bonaventure in Savannah gets talked about a lot. Yeah. Because of, you know, the book, because yeah. of Midnight's Garden of Good and Evil. And, um, I have, I've been there twice, and it is very different than your average cemetery, simply because of the Spanish moss and the trees and yeah. the lighting on. It's next to the river, and it's it's very beautiful. And the light is just it's just different there for whatever reason. And the the bad part about it is though is that Bonaventure's almost become like a Disneyland cemetery because yeah. so many. So many people go and they're on these tour buses and the last time I went I went on a Sunday morning really early when they first opened and there weren't many of us around and the light was just falling in such a beautiful way and it was just like it's hard to describe it's unearthly almost it's almost like you're touching the edge of heaven in a way just because you know how much history is there and how much peace and quiet but then getting as time went on i could hear the buses coming and that's when oh, i got yeah. out of there time to get out and i went to laurel grove which a lot of people miss and it's just as beautiful it's not on the water and it's it's it looks a little different but hardly anybody goes out there but they have some beautiful statuary and mausoleums out there and that's where i really like to go because nobody bothers you out there yeah and you just can kind of wander around and you know Juliet Gordon Lowe who founded the Girl Scouts is buried out there there's a Pierpont who's buried there who uh, wrote the words to Jingle Bells oh wow you can see his grave 
just there's some white bronze out there and laurel grove north is the is you know i'll be blunt is the white cemetery and laurel grove grove south was where african americans were buried and it split down the middle uh with the interstate with a with a road that was built in between them but they're both beautiful yeah both have of course now you know they're not segregated now anybody who wants to be buried in either one can but at that time and there are some slave burials in Laurel Grove South. And I spent quite a bit of time in Laurel Grove South, too, because, you know, African-American graves have their own kind of style in way of, of that they did things as right. well. That's interesting to look at. So, so yeah, that's the, those are the two that I think of a lot. They all have something of, of value, but those, those two are, are really good. When I went to Greenwood uh, up in, in New York, that's in uh, Brooklyn, and it's it's a gorgeous cemetery. It's huge, and it has uh, a lot of pastoral setting. It's got a lot of you know ups and downs and things like that. And that was I, I would like to go back there very much because I only got like two hours there, and that's not enough for for cemetery hoppers like me. We need at least a day to wander around and and see everything. Wow. So when you were in New York, which ones did you go to again? Was it Greenwood and what was the other one? Greenwood and Woodlawn. And Woodlawn is in the Bronx, and Woodlawn has probably the mo- has the highest number of mausolea. Right. I, I, I mean, I was only able to spend an hour there because I had, you know, pe- uh, people I was staying with. Their, their time span for a cemetery only lasts so long, so I basically ran from <laughs> mausoleum to mausoleum, taking pictures through the doors of the stained glass, you know, a lot of it Tiffany glass, and... We don't have a lot of that where I live. We don't have a lot of mausoleums here in Georgia that have that have that many in one place. Uh, Oakland has probably 10 or 12. That's our largest one in Atlanta. Westview, which is also here in Atlanta, has a number of them. But at, at Woodlawn, you're talking upwards of close to 100, maybe more. It's just mind-blowing. And I, I could go back there easily and just spend you know, a couple of days just peeking through doors and I've gotten really good at smashing my iPhone up against the glass oh, <laughs> <wow>. <laughs> through these doors. You know, some of, sometimes they have screens and you have to go, oh, screw it. You know, this isn't going to work. But if you, I've learned kind of how to do it. And when you look, that's the coolest thing is to look in that window and see something just mind blowingly beautiful that was created a hundred years ago that, is yeah. that that I'm sure even then costs a fortune. Oh yeah. But now <laughs> it's priceless. And it's like you don't know what you're going to see till you look through that glass and it's like, "Whoa, that's so cool." And I get to do that. I I think it's it's very exciting and I can't wait to go back up there to to see more of those when I'm when I'm there. That definitely sounds like just an amazing experience. Wow, like everything you're telling me is just just giving me so much to think about as far as like different areas I've been to and like different cemeteries. Um, I was thinking of like in, uh, when I was in Louisiana, like I didn't really get to get to sightsee as much as I liked because I was mostly going to school there. But um, because of like the differences in the ground in like Louisiana and like, uh, like you did see a lot of like mausoleums in like New Orleans, but yeah, it's, wow. I have not, 
been I've not been to New Orleans. I know that must probably be a shock to you. Everybody thinks that I've been there. And I'm like, no, that's where I'd like to go. And I had planned to go there in April of 2020. And I actually booked a bed and breakfast for my mother and I to go uh, in at that time. And we were going to spend a week there. And, you know, COVID totally scotched that. And I, I still want to get there very badly because they do take it to a different level. I mean, the money spent and the, the carving and the symbolism. And I follow a young woman who's on Instagram who posts a lot from New Orleans cemeteries. And she had one that was a Woodman of the World Mausoleum. And I'd never seen one of those. And it had the seal in stained glass. And she's, I said, well, how many people are in there? And she's like, oh, there's probably 30. And oh, I was like, wow. really? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I never even thought of that. And, you know, that totally blew my mind. And so I'm like, I got to go see that. That's one I really want to see. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like I was in Baton Rouge most of the time. And I mean, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of history there as well. Yeah. You, you could definitely spend a lot of time in Louisiana just yeah. between those oh, no two doubt. places. No doubt. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's like, well, I had not, and I know I have to go when it's not like boiling lava hot and yeah. I'm like, I have to go before March or after, you know, October. So it's like yeah. somewhere in there. And because I have a 15 year old, that's kind of hard to swing right now. And he's going to start driving next year. Uh, he's going to have his license. He's got his learners right now. But next year, he'll be driving himself around. So I won't be the taxi service. So I'll actually be able to, like, go somewhere for a week and not have to scramble to find someone to drive him around. So what advice would you give to somebody who's maybe interested in uh, getting into cemetery hopping as far as, like, finding cemeteries and also, like, the research aspect like what advice would you give to somebody who like is interested in starting out their own venture well uh some people like to start like with their own family tree that's kind of what i did even before i started writing i was very interested in, in finding the graves of my ancestors because i knew very little about it because my dad did not want to talk about it and you know it's not like yeah. we had criminals or anybody in prison but he did, he just never talked about it and right i i know more about my mom's side but she didn't know past her grandparents and i was able to go back i actually went with her to visit that side of the family's graves in kentucky probably in 2010 before i even started doing this some people would probably do well to start with that because then they can find where they're it's a lot more interesting when it's your own family right than strangers that you don't know but if you want to start local and go to say you know maybe the the best well-known large cemetery in your area like here that would be oakland is, is one of the largest and that gives you a good sampling of styles sizes different things like that. And that's a good place to start. Or if you want to take a tour, Oakland has tours, Westview has tours also. Those are two of our biggest. Or if you're living in say Boston, you can go to Mount Auburn. And I mean, that's the first rural cemetery of its kind, park-like, you know, that started in the 1830s with the whole Victorian movement towards turning cemeteries from these 
churchyards that were busting at the seams because there wasn't enough room to bury people to these huge park-like environments yeah where you weren't just visiting the dead you were reading poetry and going on picnics and enjoying the outdoors while you know visiting graves you know or bird watching horticulture architecture it's it, it's what attracts you personally because there are some people that don't particularly like my husband when he goes with me to these cemeteries he goes around taking pictures of the flowers and the birds and the flora and fauna and that's what interests him and fortunately he does otherwise i don't know if i get him to come because he's you know not as interested in the actual graves themselves but if he sees something that interests him he will for me but i would tell people to you know find your what interests you and start from there and just kind of take it from there and it'll it'll lead you it, you'll find something that interests you and you'll kind of chart your own path because i would you know, some people would, that would find what I find interesting, not so interesting, and vice versa. I, I do not like going to modern cemeteries. And you probably know what those are, memorial parks that have right, a flat yeah. And my husband knows better than to stop at any of those with me because they're just boring as heck. Although there are sometimes you can, I like the portraits on people's graves sometimes, the pictures. Yeah. Those can be, those can be really interesting. Uh, my father's buried in a memorial park that's pretty boring but i pulled back a one of those you know covers on somebody's picture on that was on their flat bronze marker and it was a photo of her from the 20s oh wow when she was a young woman and she was wearing this beautiful hat and her hair was done and her husband's grave was next to her and he was from the same era wearing a tuxedo and i was like whoa yeah you never would have known if you hadn't pulled back those covers what was there so Sometimes even at the modern ones, you can find something that's different. So, you know, there's a little something for everybody, I think. I, I like to think anyway. This is just so interesting. Like, I could I could talk to you a lot more about, about all of this. I mean, I just thought of so many more things. This is fantastic. Thank you so much. I would like oh, to... Uh, you're so welcome. I would like to give uh, to open it up to you. Like, where can people find you? What would you like to promote? Uh, like, I will put your bio in the show notes, but also like what links? What like if you just want to? People can yeah. People can find my blog is adventuresincemeteryhopping.com. That's where you can find my my blog posts. I try to post once a week. That doesn't always happen. But, uh, and you can go through that and, and type in a search term. If you're interested in, you know, a certain cemetery, you can type it in and see if I wrote about it. And that's, you know, one way to go about it. I do have a Facebook page that's also called Adventures in Cemetery Hopping. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. And uh, on my Facebook page, that's where I post pictures that I don't put on the blog or things that I see in between blog posts that just interest me that I don't include in the blog. So those are kind of extras that come up. Yeah. So I'm, I'm in, yeah, I'm on, I have my blog page and I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm not on TikTok. Uh, I'm not on any of that. I've, I've just started doing reels on uh, Instagram, doing these little videos and uh, I'm a newbie at that. So I'm still learning how to do that. Yeah, I'm going to definitely check that out, but yeah. yeah. Now, now, Twitter, my presence on Twitter, the interesting thing about Twitter is that there are not a lot of Americans doing what I do on Twitter. 
It's British people. That's Brits interesting. And Canadians and Australians. There's a couple of guys from Australia that I follow, but I've there are a number of people in England that post and, and cemeteries that post their stuff that I've kind of I've gotten to know some of their people and that's where I've, I get to know more people outside of the country and in Canada. Yeah. Um, I have a friend who uh, is he's a following up in Canada and that's his job. He does cemetery restoration work and I actually got to meet him when we went to Niagara Falls over the summer. And he took me around to some uh, cemetery up there on the Canadian side of the falls called Drummond Hill. And that's, that's, I would not have met him if I hadn't been on Twitter. I think I know who you're talking about. I think, I think I, I think we follow each other as well on Twitter. uh Yeah. Adam is is like like Canadian cemetery history. And he is a nice guy. And I, we got to meet him and his wife and, he showed us around that cemetery and we went and had lunch next to the falls. And, you know, I just learned so much from him from what he knows. And he showed us around Drummond Hill and that was, you know, he, I wouldn't have known where to look in that place. And he was able to show me what was, you know, of cultural significance and some history up there. So when you can make those connections, it's really nice. And, but yeah, Facebook's primarily my American people that I, because there are some people that do, there are a lot of people who do it here, but Twitter, they don't seem to be around. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's because of the limit of the characters and typing stuff. But uh, Instagram, I just started with earlier this year. So I'm just getting to know it a little bit at a time. Yeah, I, I'm not sure sometimes what to put on Instagram. I put a lot of pictures on my dog and stuff like that. And today I <laughs> posted one of my drawings. I just kind of post whatever comes to mind on Instagram. It's not like... Yeah. dedicated to the podcast or anything like that right i I still am learning the hashtag thing because it's very much hashtag driven you've got to put all this stuff so that you hit certain people yeah i'm bad at that too it's it's like i'm still learning how to do that but what is what is fun with the reels is like the other day i had all these pictures of you know pointing fingers and i just put it put together a reel of like nine pictures of pointing fingers from different grades that was just fun. It was just fun to do, you know, something random. And I didn't have to say where everybody was from and explain who was what and what the era was and all that. It was just, you know, pointing fingers. And that was, you know, that, that's something that Instagram does allow you to do that, say, Facebook or Twitter might not because of the visual aspect yeah. of that. Once again, I really want to thank my guest, Tracy Rylands, for talking to me. I learned a great deal. And I think Tracy gave us a lot to think about as far as our society's current attitudes toward death and burial practices and how we can learn a lot from how the Victorians and people from other periods approached funerary and cemetery customs. I will include a short bio with a link to Tracy's blog in the show notes. And I really hope you'll check it out to get a better idea of what Tracy does and also to see if she's ever visited your neck of the woods. Because when I was doing research in preparation for this episode, I saw that she actually had visited a cemetery in my town a few years back, which I thought was really cool. And now, I want to know what you think. Email me at thevictorianvarietyshow at gmail.com or leave me a voice message at anchor.fm slash marissa hyphen d96 slash message. Also, because Twitter still exists and I'm still using it, you can follow me there if you don't already at twitter.com slash victorianvariety1. 
And if you're on Mastodon, you can follow me there at is.noda.live slash at Marissa D. Although to be honest, I haven't really been on there lately. Actually, I've been so busy with a lot of things lately that I haven't really been on Twitter much lately, but Twitter is still my preferred social media platform. And as long as I can use it, I intend to. If you'd like to support the show financially, there are a few ways you can do that. You can buy me a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com slash marissadf13, or leave me a tip if you're listening to this on the Good Pods app or on my link tree at linktree slash the Victorian Variety Show. And finally, I would greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, Spotify, Podchaser, Audible, or wherever you listen, as that will help this podcast reach more listeners. Thank you so much for listening and for all of your support and great feedback on the show. I plan to be back in two weeks with a brand new episode just in time for Christmas, which I'm really happy about. But in the meantime, I'm going to leave you with another short poem that I think fits in pretty well with the theme of this week's show. This one is titled One Seaside Grave and was written by Christina Rossetti, who I don't think I've discussed on the show yet, but I did discuss her brother, the painter and poet Dante Gabriel Rossetti, in my episode on the aesthetic movement earlier this year. Unmindful of the Roses unmindful of the thorn. A reaper tired reposes among his gathered corn. So might I till the morn. Cold as the cold Decembers, past as the days that set, while only one remembers and all the rest forget, but one remembers yet.